Good morning, and welcome to our worship service at First Church this morning. I have several announcements before we start our service. Preparing for Wonderful Wednesdays, our praise and worship team will be practicing today from 11 a.m. to noon, and also on February 18th at those same times. The Investment Committee will meet on Monday, February 5th at 6.30 p.m. in the conference room of the Ministry Center. And also for our confirmation students, don't forget that starting today and all through February, you will be staying until 11.30 a.m. to work on your faith statements. And also this morning, I notice he's not with us this morning, but Elwood Gibb Preter will be celebrating his 90th birthday on February 10th. So if you see him, wish him a happy birthday. And also one other thing I've noticed this morning, we are happy to have with us this morning the the new addition to the Buckland family. So congratulations to you folks. At this time, I'd like to have Tori come forward. She has a couple other announcements for you. Good morning. A um, couple announcements for our students and for you all. Cookie Dough is on sale now. Um, it will run through February 16th, and the Cookie Dough will be delivered to us mid-March, depending on when the kids turn their order forms in. So if you want Otis Funkmeyer Cookie Dough, please see any of our students um, that are going on the mission trip this summer. Also, uh, students, this upcoming week, we have the owner from Almighty One Athletics coming to speak at our youth group. So if you don't know who she is, she is a Christian uh, fitness clothing line um, owner, and she has a great message, great testimony. She is awesome, and our kids really love her, um, and so she is coming to give her testimony with her friend um, and be at youth group with us this week. So we will have a combined youth group um, starting at 6.30 and going till 8 o'clock. Students, if you would like to purchase any of her apparel, you can. Um, in the comments section of your order, you just need to say First Church Youth Group, um, and she will bring that on Wednesday night. So you can go online and purchase any of her stuff. It's really, really good stuff. I highly recommend um, supporting her brand because it has such a great message um, for everyone. And it's a really good conversation starter. If someone sees your shirt and asks, what's Almighty One? Then you can totally tell them about it. Um, also, we are looking for youth group help. Um, we want, We would like... To have a few more leaders, um, especially male leaders, if you are available and around um, on Wednesday nights and would like somewhere to plug in, um, come talk to me because we would love to plug you in. And our students are awesome, and they are so much fun to be around. And I know I learn a lot from them, from working with them, and um, I love, love, love working with them because they teach me a lot about faith. Um, and so... If you want to plug in with our students and plug in with our youth group, please let me know. We would be happy to get you um, set up with that. So, thank you. Thank you, Tori. And now to begin our service this morning, would you please join me in our call to worship. This morning is taken from Psalm 130. Out of the depths I cry to you, Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. If you, Lord, get right today, Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness, so that we can, with reverence, serve you. I wait for the Lord, my whole being waits, and in his word I put my hope. I wait for the Lord more than watchmen wait for the morning. 
more than watchmen wait for the morning. Israel, put your hope in the Lord, for with the Lord is unfailing love, and with him is full redemption. He himself will redeem Israel from all their sins. Now, if you please stand and join us in the singing of our first hymn this morning, 493. It is well with my soul.
Amen. You may be seated. This time, I would like to invite forward all of our new consistory members to the front of the sanctuary, uh, and as well as any of our current elders that we have with us today. Um, I didn't give them a heads up on accident, so if you are here, I invite you to come forward. Um, but we do have our, our new consistory members as approved at our annual meeting a couple weeks ago. For our new elders, we have Glenn Culp and Aaron Rohrbaugh. Our deacons are Rick Homan, Ted Hovey, Dan Werwell, and Mark Howe. And the new trustee is Ned Vordemark. So I'll actually ask you to step forward and face the congregation um, with your groups of deacons. You can stay over there. Elder, new elders, if you'd be in the middle. And Ned, our new, our well, continuing trustee, can stand over here. And if the our current elders just want to kind of stand behind them as well. Uh, we have a couple. I have a couple questions here. I just want to ask you, and I'll ask those two as a group because they pertain to all of you about your faith and and your commitment to the Lord. And then I'll take a turn with each of the different groups to ask about um, the the committing to the responsibility of your new office. Uh, first of all, I just want to say thank you to all of you for taking this time to uh, commit to serving the church in this way and each of these unique offices. It's such an important role, and and uh, we are so grateful for your service and your and your humility to to take this opportunity to lead in this way. So, uh, with that being said, I, I ask these first two questions to all of you as a group uh, as a way to to confirm your faith and make a statement here in front of the church. Uh, and I'll ask you to respond to each one of these with "I do." Do you trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord? I do. do you believe the Old and New Testaments to be inspired word of God, and do you commit to align your life according to the Bible to the best of your ability with the help of the Holy Spirit? I do. Wonderful. And then I will begin with the elders, and I'll ask any of our current elders to just kind of gather around them. And I'll ask you this question about being an elder, and then we'll pray for you, and then we'll do that with each of the groups. And so, Glenn and Aaron, do you feel called by God to the office of elder in order to serve God and edify the First Church of New Knoxville? I do. And do you commit to fulfill the responsibilities of elder as outlined in our Constitution, which include the ability to assist and support the pastor in the spiritual affairs of the church, to set an example to others, to watch faithfully over the spiritual interests of the congregation, to maintain order in the house of God, to assist in the distribution of the elements of the Lord's Supper, to aid in the visiting of the sick and to minister according to your ability and the edification and comfort of all the members of First Church. I do. Praise God. I'd like to pray for you at this time. Our merciful Father in heaven, we thank you that you have provided faithful and gifted people to serve as elders. As these new office bearers assume their responsibilities, fill them with your spirit, endow them with your wisdom, and grant them strength. Make them faithful workers in your vineyard under their guidance. May your church grow in every spiritual grace and faith, which is open and unashamed and in the committed service that promotes your reign in the world. Help them to perform their duties with enthusiasm and humility in their work. Grant them a sense of sustained awe, which is rooted in daily adoration of you, their Lord. Through them, may, you name, may your name be honored and your church be served. Amen. Amen. And our deacons, I'll ask you similar questions as well. Do you feel called by God to the office of deacon in order to serve God and edify the first church of New Knoxville? Do you commit to fulfill the, fulfill the responsibilities of deacon as outlined in our Constitution, which include the ability to aid in securing the funds necessary for the support of the church, to foster the principles of Christian stewardship, to dispense the charity of the church, and to assist in the distribution of the elements of the Lord's Supper. 
Praise God. Let's pray for you as well. Heavenly Father, since the time of the apostles, you have inspired the church to commission certain members to assist in a special way in the pastoral mission of Christ. Hear our prayer for your faithful people, that in their vocation and ministry, each may be an instrument of your love, and give to their servant, give to your servants now to be ordained the needful gifts of grace. Bless the deacons, that they may humble, may be humble and faith-inspired in their service. We ask through Christ our Lord. Amen. And last but not least, Ned, thank you for returning to, to serve as trustee again. And just as with the other, if I get my papers in order here, I'll ask you similar questions. Ned, do you commit to fulfill the responsibility, excuse me, do you feel called to God by the office of, to the office of trustee in order to serve God and edify the First Church of New Knoxville? I do. And do you commit to fulfill the responsibilities of trustee as outlined in our Constitution, which include the ability to care for and control the property of the congregation, whether real or personal, as a sacred trust? Praise God. And we'll pray for you as well. Dear Lord, we thank you for those who care for, the, care for and control the property of the congregation. We thank you for their faithful stewardship, knowledgeable expertise, and humble service to this church. We ask for your provision, not just to maintain this building, but to make it a welcoming environment for all who seek to worship you. We ask this through Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you all, uh, and, and let's welcome them as new members of the consistory, and praise God for their service. If they're making their way back to their seats, I encourage you to stand and greet a neighbor, and I invite our children to come forward for children's chat. You did? Uh-huh. Good job. High five. All right. So how are you guys this morning? Good. What is it doing outside? No Is that a good thing or a bad thing? No well, we have mixed emotions up here about this snow. I was thinking maybe you guys would like it, but you know what? I do. You like it, Evan? Yeah. Me, not so much. I do. I'm tired of the snow. We had snow. At, we've had enough. Oh, maybe Grandpa will make a snowman with you today. You think? Well, yeah. Okay, Daddy, well. But there's not enough snow. No, it'll have to snow a lot more. You're right. Daddy, sorry, if we get enough snow, we can build a snowman, snowboard, and angels. Well, I hope we don't. <laughs> Just saying. Well, look. Look what I got with me today. Treats. Look at that. Nope. Now, let's pretend that I got these treats. I didn't have to do anything to get them. I didn't have to buy them. Somebody just gave them to me. Is that pretty cool? Yeah, treats are pretty cool. So, I didn't have to do anything to get them. Do you think maybe I should share them? Yeah. You do? Huh. Well, that would be a really nice thing to do, wouldn't it? Yeah. And you all like treats? Yeah. You do? Okay. Of course... If I gave you some of my treats, I wouldn't have as many left for myself. Maybe I don't want to share my treats because then I don't have as many. Hmm. What do you think of that? Selfish. Selfish. Yeah. That's probably a good word for it. Selfish. That's not fun. No, Jojo, that's not fun. But in our gospel reading today, in, in the Lord's Prayer, we're talking about forgiveness. What is forgiveness? 
forgive people. We do forgive people when they say something mean or they do something mean. God wants us to forgive them, don't doesn't he? Yeah, yeah he if does. We, if we say sorry. Yeah, sorry is an important thing, isn't it? Yep, I had to say sorry to my Ben last night. Because he got a little mad at me because I was yelling at him at the basketball game last night. And he didn't like that. But that's okay. I said I was sorry and he forgave me. So we're all good. All right. So when we get angry with people, we, we, ask, for God's, we ask them for forgiveness. And just like we ask for forgiveness from other people, God forgives us. Do we have to pay for that forgiveness? No. No, it's free, isn't it? Who died so that we could have that forgiveness? Jesus. Jesus. Yeah, Jesus died on the cross. We didn't have to pay anything Um, for it. One one cross fell down and then something. Yep. So, Jesus died on the cross for our forgiveness. We didn't ask for him to do it. We didn't have to pay anything for him to do it. It was just given to us for free. And that's why we need to offer our forgiveness to other people whenever they do something wrong. Okay, so like my treat I have today, I got for free. And I want to share that forgiveness with you guys. Share the treat with you guys. All right. So I'm going to set them right here. And when we're done praying, that's the temptation part. When we're done praying, you can each have one. Okay. All right. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for sending Jesus to earth to die on the cross for us so that we can have forgiveness for the things that we do wrong. It came to us for free. He didn't have to pay for us. He did it because he loves us so much. Please be with these children and help them to experience the full meaning of forgiveness. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. (laughs) Thank you, Maria. Let's pray together. Father, we are grateful for the forgiveness and the grace and the mercy that you have extended to us, dear Son, Jesus Christ. Uh, Thank you, Lord, for the gift that that brings and the the joy and the hope that we have in you that we could not have paid for that price ourselves. There is nothing we could do to earn that forgiveness, yet you extend it to each one of us freely through the sacrifice that your Son made on the cross. And, and I pray, Lord, that even now as we gather together to worship you, you would, you would help us to, to understand that anew this morning, that your Holy Spirit would, would soften our hearts and, and open our minds, Lord, to, to what you have for us through Christ. And so, Lord, make, make that grace, make that mercy anew this morning in each of our hearts and our minds. Lord, we, we do pray this morning uh, for the many concerns that are before us, uh, although Lord, we know that, that some of these things we've been praying for have been, been prayed for over and over again. We continue to come to you and ask that your will be done in each of these situations. We pray for your provision. We pray for your, your grace. We pray for your reconciliation and your peace, uh, Lord, and, and pray for your healing for those who are in need of it. Lord, you know exactly what's going on with each one of these names that are, that are listed here and the, and the issues that they represent. 
And you're also very well aware of the other burdens and the other things that we carry into the service this morning, Lord, that aren't listed there. And, and each one of us, Lord, um, may be distracted, may have, may have something, Lord, that's weighing us down. And so I pray, Lord, that you would work in those situations as well. Um, Lord, you are a God who, as we've been learning about as we study the Lord's Prayer, a compassionate Father who is able to meet our needs. And so we pray that you would continue to be faithful towards us, uh, Lord, even as we recognize that we are at times unfaithful towards you, and which is why we are in need of that grace that you make available to us through Christ. So, Lord, with all of these things in mind, we continue to, to pray and to, to lift up these requests before God and, and, be, and, and ask that you would work in those situations. We pray all these things in the name of Christ. Amen. This time I invite those who are helping with the offering to come forward. Our music this morning is a song entitled We Are Called, and our offering goes towards the general fund.
standing. Our scripture this morning comes from the book of Matthew, chapter 6, verses 9 through 13, where Jesus gives us an example of how to pray. He said, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And now we will sing in Christ alone, and the words are in your worship folder.
Amen. You may be seated. Before we begin our, our sermon time this morning, I just want to take a moment and just, just thank everyone again for your many prayers and your love and your support that you've shown us and our family, um, not just this past week, but in the months leading up to Miles' arrival. Um, we're just so blessed to have him and, and to have a church family that loves and supports us so much. And so thank you for, for the kindness and the prayers and the support that you've shown us uh, recently. It really means a lot to us as a family and to me as, as your pastor to be able to stand up here and say that. Um, it was also a, a, a blessing to have Tori fill in for me last week um, so that I could be free and be home to be with family. I actually did get to sneak in um, to the service last week and just be here to worship with you and to hear Tori preach. And, and she did a fantastic job. Um, she does a great job. Uh, I know this is not the first time she's filled in, but, but once again, she's, she did a great job and delivered a great message for us here at the church. So thank you, Tori, for, for stepping in and, and filling in for me in that way. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for this opportunity to be back here um, with my church family and to, to share uh, what you've placed on my heart and to continue to talk about what it means to pray as you taught us to pray. And so I pray now that as we, as we open your word together and study it, that your spirit would guide us and open our hearts and minds to what you have to say to us today. It's in Christ we pray. Amen. We're getting into the, the last part of our, of our time together with the Lord's Prayer. We have this week about forgiveness and next week about, about God's guidance and temptation. Um, and, and to be honest, this one, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, is probably one of the more difficult parts of the Lord's Prayer to pray, isn't it? It's hard to, in a way, we like to ask for forgiveness, but we don't always like to extend it, do we? And so this is a, maybe sometimes a, a hard thing for us to, to grasp. Uh, but I, I think it's interesting that the version that we have here in Matthew, uh, in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 6, it doesn't say forgive us our sins like it does in Luke. It says forgive us our debts. And, and, and what he's talking about here um, is, is looking at sin in terms of, of a debt, using debt as an analogy. Now, just to start off, I want to say that, that this prayer is not about forgiving us of our financial debts as much as we may hope that is the case. Uh, that would be fantastic, wouldn't it? But praying this prayer is not about God somehow removing our financial debt from us. But it's used as an analogy to, to think about sin in that way. But just for a moment, I want us to think about financial debt for just a moment to, to help us to maybe wrap our minds around what Jesus is getting at here. At the, at the end of November of last year, the, the federal government released their, um, their report on the, on the economy, and part of that report has to do with household debt. Uh, and, and at the end of November 2017, just a few months ago, uh, the, the household, outstanding household debt for the entire country had reached $13 trillion dollars. Let's think about that for a second. Thirteen trillion dollars. Uh, Eight point seven trillion of that has to do with mortgages. One point four trillion dollars is in student loans, and seven hundred and eighty billion dollars is in credit card debt. Those numbers are just astronomical, aren't they? Just think about the amount of money that is tied up in the debt that we have as a country. And that's just household debt. That's, that's not even adding on the over $20 trillion of, of national debt that the federal government has as well. So altogether, as a country, we're talking about $33 trillion worth of debt. And this seems like an insurmountable amount of money to try to pay back. Imagine trying to pay off this debt 
ourselves. Many of you probably are familiar with a man named Jeff Bezos. He's the founder and CEO of Amazon, who was um, right about the same time as that report became the richest man in the world. He finally, somebody finally passed Bill Gates, and he is now the richest man in the world, worth somewhere to this day around $115 billion. Um, just in 2017 alone, he made 35, about $35 billion that year. Now, if we were Jeff Bezos and we were trying to pay off this debt, you think the richest man in the world could somehow pay off that debt, right? Could somehow make a dent in it. But even Jeff Bezos, if we were to take his salary from 2017, $35 billion, at that rate, it would take him 943 years to pay off the debt that our country has. And he's the richest man in the history of the world. What hope do we have? As, as, excuse me, as astronomical as our financial debt is, in reality, it's nothing compared to the debt that we owe God because of our sin. Our rebellion against the Creator has created an infinite debt that we can never hope to pay off on our own. That's why we need to ask for His forgiveness. That's why, as part of the Lord's Prayer, Jesus taught us to, to seek forgiveness from the Lord because He knows that there's no way we could earn it on our own. It can only be received by grace through faith. And so that's what Jesus is talking about here when he's talking about our debt, the insurmountable debt that we owe the Lord as a result of our sin against him. And so we also realize here that not only is it, is it a great debt that we owe, but it's also about the relationship. Forgiveness is a relational thing. When we ask for our daily bread, like we talked about two weeks ago, we're asking God to supply us what is necessary for life and trust Him with both our material and our spiritual needs. And so, in, in one aspect, um, forgiveness is an extension of that. It's, it's, it's request, a request from God, but instead of being for the things that are necessary for life, like food and shelter, we're requesting forgiveness, speaking to our relational needs, how we relate to God, as well as how we relate to others. So forgiveness is about being restored in both of those relationships. And so today we'll explore what that looks like, uh, not only to live that out, but to pray for it as well and how it impacts our prayer life. So the first thing we need to realize here is the shocking nature of forgiveness. I think in our culture we have really lost a sense of what forgiveness really means. We've, we've really lost the grasp of how shocking it is. We've either forgotten about forgiveness altogether because we don't really see a need for it, or we downplay it so much that it becomes trivialized, right? It's really no big deal. But in reality, forgiveness is a very shocking thing. We've kind of replaced forgiveness with, our, with a vague sense of tolerance. And to a degree, tolerance is very good. But, what, but it is nothing compared to forgiveness. It's a poor substitute. Tolerance doesn't really cost anybody anything. Tolerance leans toward apathy. For a moment, let's just pause and think about the story of the prodigal son from Luke chapter 15. It's a story of a father and his two children, and the youngest son decides to abandon his family. He asks his father for his inheritance, and he runs off and ends up wasting it away in a foreign country. And so sometime later, he kind of comes to his senses, being left with nothing in this desolate place with no one to, to lean on. He decides to return home. And he doesn't think he could possibly return home as a son, Right? He, he hopes that he can just simply be a, a servant in his father's household and somehow earn his keep in order to survive. 
And so the youngest son returns home. And as he does so, as he begins to approach his father's house, his father runs out and embraces him. That's a shocking moment, if you really think about it. If the father were simply to tolerate his younger son, he would not have been looking for him, anticipating his return. He would not have embraced him like he did. He would not have received him back into the family with no strings attached. See, the father didn't just tolerate his son and his rebellion. He forgave him. And he wiped the slate clean. That's the difference between forgiveness and simply tolerating sin. See, forgiveness is shocking for two reasons. First of all, it acknowledges that we are, in fact, sinners in need of a Savior. Now, I know that's not a very popular notion, but it's truth. That we have fallen short of God's glory. That we do need Him. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15. In chapter 1, verse 15, Paul writes, Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. I love that passage because, because it's not talking about those people's sins. right? It's not talking about the mistakes that those people have made. Jesus came in this world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. Paul recognized his own sinfulness as a part of that reality. And so to truly understand forgiveness and the debt that we owe Christ, we need to understand and acknowledge that we in fact need his forgiveness, that we are sinners in need of a Savior. But the second reason that forgiveness is so shocking, and this is an important one as well, is that it means that we are loved and accepted in spite of our sin. That God did not abandon us or leave us on our own. But just like that loving father in the prodigal son story, he, he's anticipating our return and waiting to embrace us with open arms. Romans 5, chapter 6, excuse me, chapter 5, verses 6 through 8, Paul writes, You see, at just the right time, while we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. See, we are sinners in need of a Savior, and that Savior has come and has accepted us back into his family. He has demonstrated his love for us, that while we were still sinners, while we were still enemies of God, he paid the price for our redemption. And that price was very high. Our sin, like the financial debt we described earlier, is insurmountable. We can't possibly hope to pay it off on our own. And so the price was paid by Jesus on the cross. And it really was a great exchange. He took our sin upon his shoulders. He took our sin upon himself. And in return, he, we receive his righteousness. Jesus' death and resurrection, then, is really the answer to this prayer that Jesus taught his disciples. Forgive us our debts. The only way that's possible is through Jesus Christ and his death on the cross. That is the ultimate answer to our prayer. See, Jesus, excuse me, Jesus' disciples understood the idea of forgiveness and atonement. You know, think about the Old, Test, Old Testament and the sacrificial practices that were in place. The problem with those was that there was a need to repeat over and over and over again in order to continue to atone for or forgive the sins of the people. What Jesus has done for us is His death, His resurrection has conquered sin and paid the price once for all. 
In Hebrews chapter 10, verses 11 through 14, the author writes this, Day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away our sins. But when this priest, speaking of Jesus, had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. And since that time, he awaits for his enemies to be made his footstool. For by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. See, Jesus' death on the cross, his resurrection, was the ultimate answer to that prayer. He he removed our sin once and for all. And in him we can have forgiveness completely. Our infinite debt was paid at an infinite cost. The Son of God laying down his life for us. So forgiveness to us is free, but it wasn't cheap. To truly understand forgiveness and what it means to pray for our our debts to be forgiven and to understand what that means, we need to realize the high price that Christ paid for our redemption. And so how how does this impact our prayers? Well, first of all, if you have not received from Christ that forgiveness, if you've never put your trust in Him, it means that, that we ask God to forgive us. We receive by faith the grace that is made available through Jesus' death and resurrection. Romans 8.1 says, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And it's really as simple as three things. I'm sorry, thank you, and help me. I'm sorry for the, the, the way I've rebelled against you. I'm sorry for the sin in my life. Thank you for sending your son Jesus Christ to die on the cross for me so that my sins can be forgiven. And help me now to live a life that is honoring and pleasing to you. And so the second thing, for many of us, maybe you've prayed that prayer. Right? You've put your trust in Christ. And so this is an opportunity then to thank God for His grace. Don't ever take it for granted. Remind yourself of the great debt that we... Excuse me. that we owe to God and praise Him for redeeming us through Christ. But this isn't just a one-time thing, is it? It's not just praying the prayer once and then moving on with our lives. Repentance, excuse me, this prayer is about a continual need for repentance as well. Repentance at its core is about living a lifestyle of repentance, not just a one-time act. How many of you here, uh, you know, give me a show of hands. How many of you here can honestly say that from the day you gave your life to Christ until now you have never sinned? All right, that's what I thought, right? No, no hands, right? Because we are all sinners in need of a Savior. And although we have experienced Christ's forgiveness and we've experienced the power of, his, of the cross and the resurrection, we're still, we still struggle with sin, We're redeemed rebels. We're sinners and saints at the same time. We have been forgiven completely, but yet we still struggle with the reality of sin. We've been set free from the penalty, yet sin still wages war within us. In order to do battle against sin, then, we need to adopt an ongoing attitude of repentance, which means acknowledging our sin and acknowledging God's grace towards us in Christ. 1 John Chapter 1, verses 8 through 10. 
says, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we have made him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. It's important to remember that when John wrote those words, he was writing to Christians, right? Not unbelievers. He was writing to Christians. And he says, if you don't have sin, if you claim to not have sin, you're making God out to be a liar, right? And so even as Christians, we struggle with sin. To be Christian is not to say I've figured it all out and I'm now perfect. To be Christian is to say I'm a sinner and yet Christ has saved me by his grace. That's what it means to truly understand forgiveness. The unbeliever, someone apart from Christ, we, they rationalize their sin. They try to make it out to be no big deal. But a Christian is very aware of their sin and acknowledges their need of Christ's forgiveness. And so why do we keep confessing our sin and acknowledging God's forgiveness? Well, we can see here that Scripture commands us to. But it's also important to have an attitude of repentance because it leads to humility and thankfulness. So confession, in this sense, has two parts, just like it did when we first gave our lives to Christ. It, first of all, is a mission of sin. We need to acknowledge the fact that we are sinners in need of a Savior. Luke 18, 9-14, Jesus told them the parable about two people who went into the temple to pray. It says, Luke 18, beginning with verse 9, He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and looked down on everyone else. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee was standing and praying like this about himself, God, I thank you that I am not like other people. Greedy, unrighteous, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even raise his eyes to heaven, but kept striking his chest and saying, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you, the one who went down to his house justified rather than the other, because everyone who exalts themselves will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. So just like that tax collector, we need to acknowledge our sinfulness and seek God's mercy. But confession also involves a humble acceptance of pardon. We need to learn to forgive ourselves. If Christ has forgiven you for your sin, why are you still holding on to it? If you've received grace and mercy and forgiveness from Him, why do we just keep holding on to that, that baggage and holding on to that sin that we just can't give up? And so we need to re- realize that we need to forgive ourselves as well. Once we've experienced God's grace, we need to extend it to ourselves. It's an insult to God if we refuse to forgive ourselves for something that He has already forgiven us for. And so we need to ask God to bring to light the ways we continue to stray from Him. Thank God that He has already forgiven us and ask Him to equip us to live according to His will. A great prayer for this is from Psalm 139 Verses 23 through 24. That's Psalm 139, 23 through 24. The psalmist writes, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Trust me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. That can be just a great prayer to, to just keep in your back pocket. 
and to pray on a regular basis, to ask God to search us and to, to reveal the things that are not in line with His will and then to lead us toward Him in righteousness and the way everlasting. So forgiveness is, is not just a one-time thing. It's a, it's a continual attitude of repentance. But we also need to remember to extend that forgiveness to others. You see, forgiven people forgive. Right after the Lord's Prayer, Jesus says these words, For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your Heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. We know from the testimony of Scripture that our forgiveness is not conditional. It does not depend on our willingness to forgive others. But if we are forgiven by God, if we have truly experienced His grace, then we will forgive others who have wronged us. It's evidence of God's grace at work in our lives. So the statement is not, if I forgive others, then God will forgive me. The statement is, God has already forgiven me in Christ. Therefore, I should forgive others as an extension of that grace. In Matthew chapter 18, Jesus tells the parable of the unmerciful servant. And I know we've talked about this in months past, so I'm not going to read it for us. But just as a reminder, it's the, the story of a man who was, who was forgiven just a, an incredible debt by his Lord. And then he turns around and, and, and forces someone who owes him a fraction of that cost to pay him back. But leading up to this parable, the, the context of the parable is about a question that Peter poses to Jesus. He asked him, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? You can almost hear this, this tone of voice that Peter's asking in, right? The reason why he's asking this question isn't because he wants to forgive people over and over again. The reason he's asking is because of the tendency for us to not want to forgive people. One of the things I've been, we've been struggling with Josephine a little bit about is at dinner time, she always wants to ask, how many more bites do I have to eat? Right? It drives me kind of crazy, to be honest with you. But the reason she's asking is because she's not, it's not because she's enjoying dinner so much that she just can't wait to eat the rest of it. She wants to know what the bare minimum requirement is for her to be done. I think that's the same kind of attitude Peter has here. It's not, he's not asking because he wants to keep extending forgiveness. He wants to know what's the bare minimum. And the, the response is this parable. Jesus goes on to answer him. I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Jesus uses this parable to demonstrate that our forgiveness should know no bounds. With all that we have been for, with all that we have been forgiven, it's absurd for us to not extend that same forgiveness to others. Since God has so graciously forgiven us, we ought to extend that to people who have wronged us as well. So this means two things for us. First of all, we need to pray for reconciliation and healing to take place in our own relationships. 2 Corinthians 5, verses 16 through 21 tell, tells us that God has given us the ministry of reconciliation. It's our responsibility to not only proclaim reconciliation for others to God, but also to reconcile others to each other, reconcile people to each other. We need to pray for God to restore relationships within our family, within our church, within our community. And we need to pray the same thing for others, too. Just because it doesn't directly involve you doesn't mean that you can't pray for it. One of the most powerful things that you can do for someone else is to pray for them. 
We need to ask God to soften our hearts as well as theirs. I would say in almost every case, the issue is not one person who is innocent and the other person who is guilty. Right? There's often some, some wrong that has been done on both sides. And so we need to acknowledge that God needs to soften our hearts and lead us to repentance and reconciliation as well. There's an old Irish blessing that says, May those who love us love us, and for those who don't love us, may God turn their hearts. And if he doesn't turn their hearts, may he turn their ankles so we can know them coming by their limp. That's not what this prayer is about, right? This prayer is not about change them and leave me the same, but it's about, about asking God to soften both of our hearts to come together in reconciliation. And finally, we need to actively work toward forgiveness. Not just pray about it, but act on it. Prayer should lead to faithful, obedient action. And to be honest, forgiveness and reconciliation is hard work, but it's worth it. The grace and forgiveness that God has extended to us did not come easily. came through Christ's death and His resurrection. And so it's not going to come easily to us either as we extend forgiveness to others, but it's worth the cost. And you'll begin to see God's kingdom breaking through when you pursue reconciliation. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this opportunity to share your word. And, and I pray that as we, as we learn to pray like you taught us to pray, that you would help us to seek our forgiveness from you, but also extend that same forgiveness to others. I pray that you'd help us to reorient our hearts toward a lifestyle and a commitment to repentance and reconciliation. We pray this all in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand in in closing and sing number 210, Jesus Paid It All.
Now may the grace of the Lord Jesus be with all of God's people. Go in peace. Amen. Thank you.